Sit in friends in the morning, live from Israel. WABC. I would argue that we've not seen a situation as as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves, to continue that mission, and to respond appropriately to these attacks. Now, I know the first uh, set of questions I'm going to get are, uh, well, what does that look like? What's appropriate? What response options is the president considering? I hope you can understand why I'm not going to telegraph any punches here from the podium, nor will I get in front of the president or his decision-making. He's met twice with his national security team yesterday and today. He's weighing the options before him. As he said yesterday, we will respond. We'll do that on our schedule, in our time, and we'll do it in the manner of the president's choosing as commander-in-chief. We'll also do it fully cognizant the fact that these groups, backed by Tehran, have just taken the lives of American troops. The administration needs to take a step back and appreciate and realize that their Middle East policy is failing uh, and deterrence has failed when it comes uh, uh, to Iran. All roads, whether it's Hezbollah, whether it's the Houthis, whether it's Hamas, or whether it's these militias in Iraq, all roads lead back to uh, Tehran, the appeasement strategy has failed. This de-escalation uh, attempt has actually only invited escalation uh, from the Iranian regime. The president said Friday, Iran's gotten the message. Clearly, uh, they have not. And now we have three service members uh, dead because of it. This is part of a major confrontation between the moderate axis of Israel and the moderate Arab states against Iran, the terror axis of Iran, who is the three H's. Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas, and others. And the whole world is now watching. Who's going to win? They're sitting in the bleacher. Who will win? Will Iran win or will Israel win? Will they win or will the West win? So uh, I think that uh, what I say to our American friends, whose help I appreciate a great deal, I said uh, the war will take as long as it takes, but it will result in total victory because this our battle is your battle and our victory. My name is Rachel, and I am Hirsch Goldberg Poland's mother. I'm a mom, too. On the 7th of October, my son Hirsch was celebrating his 23rd birthday at the Nova Music Festival. The eyewitnesses who were peeking out from underneath the dead bodies told us that his left arm had been blown off from the elbow down. They were put on a Hamas pickup truck and headed off to the direction of Gaza. It's been living a slow-motion, unfolding nightmare since that time. Having this piece of my soul missing and not knowing has been excruciating. Before I had Hirsch, I was a person. I was a woman. But after I had Hirsch, I was a mother. And that changed my whole way of relating to everything in the universe. Because we know what it means to have life grow inside of us. I think the things would be different if there were more mothers involved in decision-making processes. I would just say that if somehow, someway, Hirsch can hear me, I love you, stay strong, 
Another day in paradise for me and Justin Ellick as we come to you for our second consecutive day from the very beautiful JNS Studios here in Jerusalem. But it is certainly not another day in paradise for Rachel Goldberg, who you heard right there at the end of the open, put together, I must say, in brilliant fashion by Rich Rodabelli, who is uh, back in New York doing what Justin usually does. I know I upped up his name. I just don't care. Uh, Rich is back there in the studios. Lou is back there. Noam. And uh, we're here again for the second consecutive day. I don't feel great. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been, uh, <laughs> as only God would have it for me, I finally get to Israel. Finally. And I've pretty much been sick for the better part of two days. When I say sick, I mean I've been out all day, every day, doing what i got to do. I'm not uh, bedridden by any stretch. But you can probably hear a bit nasal this morning. Sneezing just a bit, runny nose, a little bit of a cough yesterday. And I really believe that the 11 hours on the airplane is so unhealthy for anybody. No matter what you do, wear a mask, do what you got to do, it ain't going to matter. So I'm not 100%, but I'm close enough. And for Rachel Goldberg, this has been an unmitigated disaster, an absolute nightmare. And the reason why today, of all days, we decided to play Rachel Goldberg at the end of that open because everyone knows who she is, right? There's a lot of names, the hostages who have come out. You know the name Noah, for example. You knew the name Mia Shem. She's home now, thank God, for example. And everyone knows the name of Hirsch Goldberg because his mother, Rachel, has been very active in the media. I mean very. Fox News, some of the liberal networks, and she was on with me about a month ago. But today... For the first time, I'm going to meet Rachel Goldberg live and in person. She's going to join me on this show coming up in about an hour and a half, 7.45 a.m. local time in New York, 1.45 p.m. local time in Israel. Rachel Goldberg live in studio, and that promises to be a very, very emotional couple of minutes. Because, folks, it is really hard to explain what life is like here, unless you come here. There is just no way in a million years you could appreciate, and I mean appreciate, 
what what they're going through here unless you come here. You just can't. I'll give you an example. So yesterday, before the show started, I made my way with the help of my friends, Yehuda Hanekman, Aaron, Rabbi Bloomstein, and a host of others to the Western Wall. And by the way, let me remind you folks, you can see all these amazing pictures of this spectacular journey that we're on on my Instagram page, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney. Follow me today and Facebook, Sid Rosenberg. Amazing pictures. Yesterday, davening at the Western Wall, making my way through the Arab quarters, the Muslim shops, just to get to the Western Wall. Just amazing stuff. So this morning, uh, I did that without my wife, my kids, and Justin. This morning, now that we're all here together, we did a tour together, which was um, held by Eve from the One Israel Fund, and that is the organization that has sponsored this trip. I know Berna gave us a lot of money. Thank you, Berna, a few other folks. But the sponsor of this trip is One Israel Fund. They put it together. They paid for the airfare, the hotels, all that stuff, and we're here because of them. So they, um, they put us on a tour this morning, and they took us to a place called Gush Etzion. Let me get Noam Layden on the, on the mic here. Noam, Gush Etzion, are you familiar? Sure. I've been to Gush Etzion before. Yeah, so, and you know this, that Gush Etzion is not considered a part of Israel, even though they're kind of like the last man standing before you get to Jerusalem. Gush Etzion and 26 communities inside that region are not considered Israel, even though they are some of the most passionate, enthusiastic, and fervent Jews in the world, yes? That's right. Judean mountains, and some people would call it the West Bank. Others would call it Judea and Samaria. That's exactly right. They call it Judea and Samaria. Very good. So we did a tour this morning, and uh, we had a lot of guys with guns, and they took us inside the command center where these uh, three young ladies are actually watching television screens all day long, all day long from rock-throwing incidents to home invasions to car accidents, to fires, to gunshots. They literally get on the phone right away and alert the powers that need to know what's going on because there is a lot. They told me as many as ready for this, Noam, five times a day something happens in Gush Etzion. Now, not nearly as, as awful as what we saw down south in the Kibbutzim and the music festival back on October the 7th, but every day. Every day in Gush Etzion and those 26 neighboring communities, they've got issues with violence with the Arabs. And I'm not sure about you, Justin, but I was blown away listening and watching all that this morning. Yeah, I mean, I I had heard of uh, Gush Etzion. I'd never been, uh, but I had heard the story of it. But I didn't know, uh, I didn't really know the level to which that these people really sacrificed themselves to uh, protect Jerusalem and to protect uh, their faith, and uh, it was an incredible story. I mean, we we uh, watched uh, probably about an hour long film on it. Was it. a movie, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was really brilliant. I mean, you were in tears afterward. I was getting choked up uh, just looking at the bunker that they stayed in uh, and where they fell, and uh, it was really just eye. Yeah, no, to, to, to uh, emphasize on Justin's point, good job, Justin. In 1948, you know, they had uh, a war there when they only had four kibbutzim at the time, and uh, they killed everybody, basically the Arabs. But there was a bunker that uh, these folks would go into when, in fact, they were in trouble. So they play an hour-long movie 
showing you the history of how Gush Etzion, these other communities, came into existence back in the 1940s. They've been attacked and destroyed twice. They've had to resettle in those areas twice, but they've done it successfully. Now it's a beautiful community. But they actually, at the end of the movie, the movie screen gnome goes to the top of the ceiling, and on the ground, just below the seats, we are watching the movie, this kind of door opens up, and that is the actual bunker these people were in back in 1948. They all died, but that was the bunker they were in wow. escaping the Arabs. Is that intense? Yeah, that is very intense. And it's just a beautiful area. I imagine you saw sort of the mountaintops. Oh, and, gorgeous. Yeah. We went through Efrat, all the mountaintops. I mean, it is a gorgeous area. And they rely a lot in that area on agriculture. And what uh, these folks told us, too, was while the Arabs are not killing people every day like they did in the south back on October the 7th, they set fires to all the, uh, you know, the plants and the fields because Israel does export a lot of that stuff. And almost every day there's a case of arson where the Arabs are hurting the Israelis in that way. So people have no idea back home, Jewish people, what these people do every day in a bunch of different cities and towns all across Israel to protect their land. They love their land. You know, we think we love New York. Oh, we love New York. Curtis, he loves New York, no doubt about it. He's out at Rikers Island last night. He's on the subways. He's making hay. He loves New York. A lot of us that say we love New York, we don't do anything to prove it other than live there. We live here. We go to Nick Games. We love it. You don't love it. Take a gun, go out there every single day, and make sure your neighbor is safe. That's a person that loves it. You see what I'm saying, Noam? Yeah. Well, you know, depend, again, it's all politics, right? It also boils down to politics. Some people would call those people patriots, right? Others don't think that way about them. They think they're making things worse for Israel. No, so they're not. They're, they are yeah. not. I mean, again, you got to be here to see what they deal with every day, the constant threat, the constant violence from throwing a rock to raping and murdering. Like they did back on October the 7th. This is not, it is not um, a matter of, um, I guess, uh, what I'm looking for is, Perception. It's not perception. It is a reality. And when you come here and you get to learn exactly what Israel goes through every day, you will find a whole new appreciation and really probably know him get much more angry with Joe Biden, Anthony Blinken, Lloyd Austin, John Kirby, all these ass munches that are in charge of protecting the United States, helping out allies like Israel around the world. Now we've got three American soldiers dead in Jordan. And I heard all the audio played this morning from John Kirby and everybody else. The president's going to respond, and he'll do it in his way. Well, what in God's name is his way? And what has Joe Biden done once in his 40-plus year political career where, quote-unquote, his way has been effective? Can you tell me, no? Mm, I'd have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think long and hard. What do you mean he's going to do it in his way? Well, I mean, come on. You know, of course, this is the deal. Is you know, it's so volatile in the Middle East. Anytime you respond, you're opening up these avenues to other things happening. And so, for sure, it doesn't matter what administration's in power. You got to be careful about how you do respond. That's true. But you want somebody up there with confidence, somebody tough. You know, I don't think the response would be incredibly different if Donald Trump is back in office. But when he looks at you, when he's there on television, and he tells you they're going to pay for this, someone's going to die, he would say that. 
you feel better, and that matters. Yes, we're not inside the war room. We're not sitting there with Lloyd Austin and Joe Biden or Donald Trump and his people. But when you rule with power, when you're tough, when you at least seem to care, it means a lot. And that is the huge difference between Donald Trump and the guys in power right now. Are you going to argue that? No, I, I think what's been awfully interesting is you haven't heard from him. You haven't heard from the president. Just those moments when he was on the campaign trail, when he was first told about the attack, and it was barely audible, and since then, nothing. It's all been people speaking for the president. That is true. You're right. And of course, he's out there campaigning. I don't want to say who's too, he's too busy because I would not use that excuse for a Democrat, so that's fair in Nevada and, of course, on his way to South Carolina after very impressive efforts in both Iowa and, um, and New Hampshire, but you're right. He has not been over the top by any stretch. Not a lot coming out of Donald Trump about this, but again, we are here today. We were here yesterday. We'll be here through Friday. Friday's our big day. Friday morning. We're not on the air, but we're going down south. We're going to see those kibbutzim and, of course, the Nova Music Festival that was attacked back on October the 7th, where all these Israelis were not just killed, but just treated so inhumane, just the raping and the murders, throwing babies in ovens, live babies, uh, cutting off soldiers' heads, cutting out the eyes of little kids. That's what happened back then, and that's where we're going coming up on Friday. So that is the scene that is set here. We've got two in-studio guests today. Both are going to be very, very emotional. So if you're not in the mood to cry today, I would put on Elvis Duran. Or Boomer Esiason, so we can talk to you for the a million time about the Chiefs taking on the 49ers. Or that the Knicks won last night without Julius Randle. Or that the Mets are looking for a third-string second baseman when they start spring training in two weeks. Isn't that great, Noam? Yeah, that's just what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Hey, give me the latest with this. Um, I can't stand this Yusef Salam. He was uh, one of the Central Park Five, right. who, of course, um, in the end was exonerated. And I'm not even sure if he did rape that girl, to his defense. But I can tell you this, Yusef Salam was not handing out candy to soldiers in Central Park that night. At the very least, at the very least, he was, he was wreaking some type of havoc, some, some type of disturbance. Maybe not as bad as rape, but the idea that he was a good kid is nonsense. Somehow, only in New York, he gets himself on the city council. But now he's in trouble. What's going on there? Yeah, so he was pulled over on Friday by the NYPD. There's body cam footage of the interaction between cops and the city councilman. They walk up to his window. He uh, automatically, immediately identifies himself as a city council member. And the police back off very quickly. Apparently, they had stopped him for his windows on his car, which were over-tinted, an out-of-state license plate. And um, he says he was on his way to something work-related. It's not clear if that's really true. Uh, he was going to do this ride-along. You know, there's this big city council vote today on these two bills, one of them that would uh, involve solitary confinement, the other one which would force police officers to dictate and document every single interaction they have with the public. The mayor, really against both these bills, is trying uh, trying to – he vetoed it, and now the city council could override that veto today. 
And so uh, Yusuf Salam, one of the people who was going to do this ride along to see what it would mean for the cops if they had to do all this paperwork. But after being stopped on Friday, he pulled out of that. It's not clear if the mayor will get anybody, any city council members to take his side. And so his veto may be very well overrided later today in the city council. I know. Thank you for that. So we started the show today with Phil Collins, Another Day in Paradise. So I say to Lou Rufino, I go, Another Day in Paradise? How does that make sense if you're hearing from Rachel Goldberg? But it makes a whole lot of sense because every now and then the title of a song tends to confuse people. In other words, Born in the USA by my guy Bruce Springsteen is anything but anything but a pro-USA song. In fact, it's negative USA. And Another Day in Paradise, according to Lewis, is not exactly that on this Today, Phil Collins' birthday. Isn't that right? You explained it, actually, right after when you came on, that it is for you and Justin, probably, but, you know, when you, if you go by unnoticing things that are the reality of uh, misery and horror, it's not paradise. So that's what, he, that's what the song is basically is. Like walk, it was it was a direct about the homeless problem back in the late eighties, early nineties, which is much still worse, bad. of yeah, course. Much worse. And yeah, you could say the lyrics in the beginning actually explain it, but um, yeah, I think it was poignant and um, the was. juxtaposition of what's going on in the world. So. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, me and Justin, another day in paradise. Rachel Goldberg, another day in misery. How old is uh, Phil Collins today? Oh, He's seventy. Three, yes. 73. 19, 1951, right. So we're going to celebrate uh, Phil Collins and Genesis all day long here on Sid and Friends in the Morning. Again, we've got five amazing guests today, plenty of New York topics, guys like Curtis Sliwa, Rudy Giuliani, maybe Arthur Idala, two guests here in Israel as well, both very, very emotional Israeli guests. It's going to be a great show. The number is always one 800 848 WABC, that's 1-800-848-9222. Welcome back. Day two of four days at Alex Treyman's JNS Network in Jerusalem with me, Sid Rosenberg, only right here on New York's Best Talk, 77 WABC. I've been hearing a lot about Lang Insurance. They sell luxury home insurance to high net worth individuals in all 50 states. Call Kevin Lang at Lang Insurance. Call 866-964-4434. He's an expert in reviewing your current coverage to save money, leaving you with your current insurance company or moving you to a less expensive one. Clients rave about his skills. You call, they quote, you save. That's 866-964-4434 or just visit langins.com. Just a few years ago, under the previous administration, ISIS was defeated, Iran was broke, and we had literally, we had peace breaking out in the Middle East with the Abraham Accords under President Trump, and now we have, uh, and now we have this. 
my all-time favorites, Jim Morrissey, of course, from the Smiths. Every day is like Sunday, 132 now locally in Israel. I'm sure it's 632 back home. Got a busy night ahead of us. <laughs> we started touring at 8 o'clock this morning, going to Gush Etzion and Judea Samara. Then, of course, we're back here in Jerusalem doing this show. Then we're going back to the hotel in Jerusalem, about 20 minutes away. I'll get a one-hour workout in at the gym, then have a quick dinner, and then we're going back to Tel Aviv tonight because the families of the hostages are having their, I'm not sure if it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, they call it their hostage protest, and it's right in the middle of Tel Aviv. And we're going to go witness that later on tonight. Rachel Goldberg live in studio coming up at about 745, but probably not very far, Justin, from your aunt and uncle's house. Right. They have these um, these these protests with yeah. the hostage the parents. Well, my, my aunt and uncle live, live about an hour away from Tel Aviv, but my cousins are probably right around the corner. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if uh, one of my cousins is uh, going to be there tonight. There, right? Yeah. Are you going to go with us? Uh, I haven't decided yet, but okay. I, I don't see What else you got not. going on? I got nothing going on. You got on. chicks here in uh, Israel? No, not really. Not really? No. <laughs> but, sure tele- but, t- but the back and forth trip from here, from our hotel to Tel Aviv, it's about an hour, yeah, ten yes. minute drive. It's not that close. Right. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a very small country. Mm-hmm. It's been described on this show many times like the size of New Jersey, but yet everywhere we go it takes forever. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, that was um, Mike Waltz. And he is from the great state of Florida, talking about how under Donald Trump's leadership, there were no wars. And that's true. If my sister Alana is listening now, I hope she is. She knows how much I love her, my oldest sister. And uh, she hates Trump and loves Biden, which makes no sense. And if I said this to her, she said, uh, well, what's your proof? That's what Harry says. I'm not sure what that means. What do you mean, what's my proof? These are the facts. There were no wars under Trump. Right? They went into uh, Crimea, Putin with Obama before Trump. They went into Ukraine with Biden post-Trump. Trump had the Abraham Accords. He had Israel pretty much peaceful. There were still random attacks, I admit that, but nothing like October the 7th. Now the whole Middle East is on fire. He absolutely, Donald Trump, castrated Iran. He did. Restrictions up the ass. They couldn't buy a loaf of bread in Iran. Plus, plus, he blew Soleimani, one of the most dangerous Iran military men, to about a 1,000 pieces. Donald Trump did that. So Iran, when he was president, could never in a million years fund a war like this. He leaves. This asshole Biden comes in, loosens every restriction, everyone doesn't enforce any restrictions, revisits the Iran deal with John Kerry. They didn't even need the $6 billion this morning gave back to them a couple of months ago. They made so much money in oil from China, they can blow up the whole world at this point. That is all the doing of Biden and this administration. That is a fact. That is not opinion. That is not fiction. Just because the Democrats don't accept it, Just because the New York Times didn't write it, it's fact. The world was doing okay. Then the Chinese, yes, Andrew, the Chinese unleashed the COVID virus on us, and that beat our ass for the last six months of Trump's 
presidency. But even that he handled well. The China ban. Before that, when terrorism got ugly under Obama, he had the Muslim ban. And everybody used all kinds of words, racist, to describe Donald Trump. No, he was a leader. He put America first. We were not going to die in our own country like Israelis are doing right now. Because he's a leader. Complete 180 from the folks we've got in charge right now. And let me tell you, talking to folks here in Israel, they know it. They know it. They know our country right now is funding both sides. But they need us so desperately, so desperately, that anytime you hear an Israeli speak, for example, in New York, they're always saying nice things about Biden. And these Democrat morons who vote in our country go, look, they love us. No, they don't. They don't. They don't have a choice. They're about to be fighting in the north and the south. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the weaponry. They don't have the money. So they're going to say nice things about this administration. But believe me, folks, they know exactly what Biden is doing. They know he is a no-good, backstabbing, two-timer, two-teamer president. They want Trump back in the worst way, in the worst way. But until they get him back, they got no choice. So don't confuse the issue. If you hear somebody who's associated with Israel say something nice about Biden, it's because they need him. That's it. They don't like them. They know better. Anyway, we've got uh, five great guests about to come your way once again, live from Jerusalem. Curtis Sliwa will kick it off coming up, oh, in about a half hour. But we'll get you rolling. Once again, two in-studio guests, three guests live from New York, and plenty more commentary from me and Justin live in Jerusalem. So... Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning, live from Israel, 77 WABC.
yesterday was kind of interesting here in that when I was at the Western Wall, there was an attempted terrorist attack. Some psycho got out of his car in hyper with an axe, and he was shot to death very, very quickly. Then you may remember, if you were listening late in yesterday's show, while we were on the air with Justin on his way to Tel Aviv last night, for the first time in about five weeks, the air raid sirens went off in Tel Aviv late yesterday afternoon because of a Hamas rocket attack. So yesterday they, you know, they kind of up the ante just a little. Don't forget, two days ago they released the latest video of hostages. So Hamas is still very, very active. Now, again, the Israelis talk about them like they're mosquitoes. Honestly, even with all the horror and damage they caused back on October the 7th, the Israelis right now are much more worried, and they should be, about what's going on in the north with Hezbollah and those groups who, of course, are funded by Iran and and other countries in a very, very big way, much more sophisticated, better weaponry, more men, and would cripple the whole country, and they all feel like it's coming and it's coming soon. But Hamas is still active. But there seems to be some breaking news, another day, another event. And, again, I think this one, we get the win. Let's go to Justin Ellick. Justin. Yes, this is courtesy of uh, our Good friend right now, Ryan Lifshitz, who works here at uh, JNS Studios. And he uh, revealed to me that this uh, morning, 5.30 a.m., Israeli commandos dressed as Arabs to eliminate a terror cell in the city, the northern West Bank city of Janine, planning an October 7th-like attack. They killed three members of an armed Hamas cell hiding inside a hospital in the city of Janine. The cell was planning imminent terror attacks inspired by the October 7th massacre. And here's here's really how impressive this whole operation was. They dressed as doctors, nurses, and Arab women headed to a hiding room on the third floor and shot the wow. surprise trio dead in their beds before escaping the building unscathed in under 10 minutes. Wow. They used uh, guns with silencers. And that's what we're used to. We're used to Israeli intelligence being the best in the world right. and doing exactly what you just talked about. That's why October 7th is still a shocker where both Israeli and American and American intelligence were caught sleeping. Because what you just talked about that happened this morning, that's the history of Israel intelligence. Mm-hmm. They're the best. Ten minutes. I mean, so, yeah, that incredible. is good news. You know, I, um, I went to Instagram moments ago to see my page at Rosenberg.Sydney, and as soon as I went to the page, my son's page popped up. <laughs> Gabriel, and what do I see when you and I left yeah. the, uh, the command center in uh, Gush? There were two guys there, both holding weapons, yeah. machine guns, yeah. to be honest. And they're in charge of security over there in that region, in that area, I should say, in that community. And uh, I'm watching these guys. They're talking to us like you and I are talking right now. They're strapped with machine guns. So Justin and I leave, go back to the studios. We leave my family. They're still there. And moments after we leave, I now see pictures of both Gabriel and Ava holding machine guns up in the air with the Israeli flag flying behind them. Mm-hmm. Gave my kids guns. Big smiles on their faces, too. Oh, yeah, they for the were, kids, yeah. that would be great. But thrilled. what if Gabe, by accident, well, I'm sure fired there, the gun? I'm sure there was some sort of safety on that. Yeah, I guess so. prevent that from happening. I was just jealous we didn't have a chance to do that. I know. I didn't know they were just handing them out. Handing them out. <laughs> Gabe and Ava taking pictures with machine guns like it's... 
You know, it's a family photo. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those guys are really, really cool. They got a very, very tough job, no doubt about it. But they're ready to go. They are they ready are to prepared. go. Number is always 1-800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Again, five great guests to come, three from New York, two live in studio, including the mother of Hirsch Goldberg. He's a hostage. Rachel Goldberg coming up in about an hour. We'll take a short break. We'll come up and wrap up our number one. Justin and Sid live from the JNS Studios in Jerusalem with some more U2 Heartland right here on WABC. WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles song. Love me do, I think it was, but from there it didn't take him long. Got himself a guitar. Used to play every night. Now he's in a rock and roll outfit, and everything's alright. Don't you know? Johnny told his mama. Hey, want to thank the audience. I know it's a big audience out there. I know it is, folks, and we appreciate it. I got to tell you that we are treated even here in Israel like we're a big deal to me. I went to um, Gosh Etzion this morning and uh, did this whole tour with Justin, Danielle, Ava, Gabe. Uh, Yehuda met me and Aaron and a bunch of others. And we're leaving, and this, they stayed, but we had to come to the studio. So we noticed there's about three people standing by our van. One of them is dressed in a light blue dress shirt, kind of a whitish beard, wearing a yarmulke. And uh, one of the guys points at me and goes, that's the mayor. And I'm like, you mean like Eric Adams? And he's like, well, yeah, sort of, but he's the mayor of Gush Etzion, not New York City. And uh, I said, this guy's live in New York. I go, so he's still familiar. I go, well, who's a better mayor? I swear to God, he goes, well, you'd have to be pretty bad to be worse than Adams. Yeah. And he lives in Israel for yeah. 13 years. Mm-hmm. But he's all too familiar. You heard that. Yeah, I said that's not saying much. Because he's right. well, better yeah, than Yeah, he was standing anyway. right yeah. there. Right, right, right. But I said, is he all that good? So um, they've got like a um, 
a city council for the Gush and all these other neighboring territories, and it's kind of the same thing. They talk about liberals here in Israel. They talk about the conservatives here in Israel. So a lot of the same bitching that goes on up in New York goes on here. So I met the mayor, and there's a very cool picture on my Instagram with my son Gabe holding a machine gun and my daughter Ava holding a machine gun of me standing there with the mayor. And Eve, who did our tour this morning, won Israel Fund, who put together this trip, and uh, Gabby, very cool guy named Gabby Harrow. So check that out. Not Eric Adams, but Sid and the mayor of Gush. And the question is, how much longer will Eric Adams be the mayor? I'm not saying like Greg Kelly, he's not going to make it through his first term. I'm not saying like Curtis, he's going to be arrested, put in prison, have to give it up. I don't know any of that. In fact, my gut tells me he'll make it through the first term. But the question is, will he win again? Will Andrew Cuomo come along and beat his ass? Right now, the polls say Cuomo would kill Eric Adams. And regardless of who wins on the left side, can my guy Curtis on the right side put up a good fight and after running for the second time win it for the red team? All that will be told not that long from now. Talking about Curtis, he starts off a big 7 o'clock hour with the great Curtis Sliwa and then... A very emotional conversation. She's going to be live in studio. Hostage, Hirsch Goldberg's mother, Rachel Goldberg, sitting next to me, coming up in about 45 minutes. Sliwa and Goldberg, that's your 7 o'clock hour, folks. Keep it right here. Johnny made a record, went straight up to number one. Suddenly everyone loves to hear him sing a song Watching the world go by, surprising it goes so fast Johnny looked around him and said, well, I made the big time at last Don't you know, don't you know, don't you Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority. PriorityGoldGuide.com